Hello, and welcome to the Growing Up 8 podcast. I'm your host, David Youngblood, and today's episode is entitled, Let's Take the Go-Kart to Confirmation. I chose the name Peter for my confirmation name when we were asked by Father Jaeger to decide during sixth grade. He made a special visit to our class to answer questions and to tell us about this special rite of passage. Of all the apostles, Peter seemed the most accessible and human to me, always struggling, always questioning, always uncertain of his position. If I had to place a bet, I'd say he was a middle child for sure. Despite all of this, he was also the only one of the disciples to get out of the boat to follow the Christ miraculously walking on the water. This counted for something for me. Confirmation class was what you might expect, a small group of awkward preteens sitting around a table in the church hall, a place normally reserved for after-service coffee and the occasional pancake breakfast. We'd sit around looking meek and uncertain while Father Jaeger would ask questions peppered throughout his lesson. Of course, few of us were willing to exit the boat to respond, but some things left a deep impression. It was from Father Jaeger that I learned that I had the power to baptize someone in an emergency. For instance, suppose there was a terrible car accident in the desert with no priest around and a repentant, though unbaptized stranger is dying in your arms. You, with no explanation as to how exactly you showed up on this scene, could baptize the non-Christian before he or she died, thus assuring them the possibility of heaven. But what would we use for water, Father? It was an honest and interesting question which perked the rest of us up immediately. All our eyes were open now and turned expectantly to Father Jaeger, the young, hip priest among the three at St. Joe's. Without hesitating, he said he'd go to the car, collect some of the water from the radiator or the window washer tank. Still, we pressed on. But what if that water was gone because of the accident? Then I'd spit on him. His answer came without hesitation or concern for our reaction. That was exactly what we wanted to hear, and it nourished our courage as young Catholics about to become adult Catholics in the eyes of the Church. We felt older to be let in on this bit of wisdom that we were sure to be true. Father Geiger used it as an opportunity to remind us of the story of the blind man whose sight was restored by Jesus when he had made a paste with dirt and his own spittle to perform a miracle. That ended the lesson for the late afternoon, and I knew there might just be enough time to make it home for a run with the go-kart, which was I was sure the others were enjoying without me. It was impossible and at least highly uncharacteristic, but in the late spring of 1978, Mom and Dad gave joint permission for us to get a go-kart. This unlikely concession to our constant attempt to embrace risk and the thrill of possible bodily injury was the needed balm to what had been an extremely harsh winter, even by Midwestern standards. To the casual observer, this go-kart may not have looked like much, but to our ever-imaginative eyes, Mario Andretti could not have asked for a finer ending machine. It was clear that this was not a manufactured machine, but rather a homemade do-it-yourself project. A lawnmower engine had been welded onto the one-inch tube metal frame with a kill switch placed near the top of the engine, just in case things got a little too hot. The fire engine red frame was mounted on a set of four five-inch tires, somewhat worn, but just broken in as far as we were concerned. There were two pedals on either side of the front end of the frame, one for accelerating and one for braking. The thin woven wire cable connecting the pedals had been salvaged from a 10-gear English race bike. Because of this, the cables were prone to and did quite frequently stretch and come loose, making them pretty much useless when it came to bringing the machine to a stop. 
This demanded constant attention on our part, and one of us was always sure to carry a set of pliers, an adjustable crescent wrench, and a screwdriver as needed. Early on, we discovered that the single-seater go-kart was best enjoyed as a group, where we could take turns driving and thrilling to the speed exploits of our siblings. Each of us was quickly trained in making the minor repairs to the engine to keep the fun going. We were a quick-study pit crew and could speedily solve most of the problems that surfaced quickly and efficiently. It was probably for the best that the internet was still years away. Otherwise, we would have found a way to soup up the engine to maximize its speed far beyond the 25 miles per hour or so we could coax out of it, even going downhill. I remember Mike on one occasion rushing past us rather than coming to a stop for someone else to take their turn. As he whizzed by in the flat land between our house and the yaps, he yelled something to us. But given the wind and the sound of the lawnmower engine, we could not discern his words. We turned quizzically to each other, and Tom said, I think he said, this is so great. What he had actually said was, I've got no brakes. By the time we figured it out, we were running toward his out-of-control and serpentining go-kart as it slalomed down the hill. The wooded area at the bottom of the hill was fast approaching. Suddenly, the go-kart turned sharply, heading along the edge of the forest and riding up on two wheels, and we saw Mike jump from the machine and then begin chasing it, racing to slap down the kill switch. He was safe, but the go-kart needed some work. One of its welded joints had broken free and needed to be resoldered. Approaching mom and dad on this would be impossible. The permission to possess the joyride had been granted, but perhaps knowing that the machine would eventually fall apart on its own and our danger hunt would be short-lived, they had not agreed to pay for either gas or repairs. That was to be on the owners. Luckily for us, but not so much for our parents, the shop across the highway from us had a welder who for 20 bucks was willing to keep us more than in business. We wheeled the machine across the road as the traffic lessened and a spot opened up. It was not to be the last time we would pay such a visit. It should be noted that most of us were without jobs at this point. Doug was the only one gainfully employed, and so the burden fell to him. To Doug's credit, he never complained about this arrangement, never demanded any sort of restitution, instead taking it as one of the burdens of being the eldest. Though the rest of us could only guess at the lonely office of being eldest, Douglas had just the kind of easy attitude to make him perfect for as an older brother. Nothing seemed to rattle him too much, and every crisis that we face he managed to handle in the same earthy, relaxed manner. And so it was when he walked into the house that Saturday afternoon from a long day at work, sweating and dirty from having been assigned to clean out the grease traps at the local grocery store where he worked. He was met by my parents, who were walking out the door and headed to the hospital. It seems our younger brother John had fallen and split his knee pretty bad and was in need of stitches. The problem was that this was also the evening of my confirmation at St. Joseph's. I needed a driver and a sponsor to stand by my side during the ceremony, and Doug was it. The service was to start in 20 minutes, so there would be no time to change. I don't remember talking as much as we made the 10-minute drive to the church in the baby blue Volkswagen bug. I do remember looking over at Doug, who had managed to put on a decent shirt and tie, being somewhat amazed by the serenity of his gaze. He was moving through this unexpected emergency as he seemed to move through all of life with a calm, this is what happens in life attitude. I also remember thinking I wanted to be like that someday, unfazed by disaster and zen-like in a response to life's hiccups and coughs. 
We arrived at the parking lot next to the narthex of the church, and I jumped out, but not before muttering, Thanks, Doug, as I shut the door and raced to join my confirmation class already seated inside. Before moving in the procession to the altar to have the bishop confer the sacrament, I glanced over at my exhausted brother, the only one of my family there to bear witness to this rite of passage. He was seated in the pew reserved for the families of the confirmation candidates, though the other families gave him a bit of a wide berth since he didn't have time to shower. He smiled and nodded his head at me, no burden or concern or resentment at being present at this showed on his face, and I counted myself lucky and blessed despite having an aged hand slap my face as I turned toward the altar.